Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on Sunday, September 12th by Pastor Rod Heppel. This is our kickoff Sunday for the fall of 2021, and the message is entitled, Live It Out, Let Your Light Shine Before Others. Check out sardisfellowship.com for more information about our church. It's good to be back. Some of you know that Anne and I have been away on vacation for a few weeks. We had a wonderful time, got to go to Vancouver Island a couple of times, got to go out to Saskatchewan where we dropped off our son Brendan, uh, who's in his third year at Briarcrest. He was here this summer as a summer intern and it was great to have him home. We also got to go see our other son, Ryan, and his wife Mia in the thriving metropolis of Waltime, Saskatchewan. Here's a photo of our family. Uh, We love going to Saskatchewan now. It really is a destination for us, but of course it's because we have family there. On our way home, we got to stop in at Lake Louise. We got to hike around the mountains there and see that beautiful setting, that amazing lake. Um, So we really did have a wonderful, relaxing time on our vacation. I want to thank you for praying for us. On staff, we feel very blessed that our congregation is caring and supporting, and you pray for us, and we're grateful for that. Um, Life is changing for Ann and I. Our kids are growing up. In fact, this is the first semester that all of them will be out of our house. We are technically empty nesters, at least during the school year. Our daughter, Elena, is heading off to Kaleo at Camp Kuanos on Vancouver Island this week. Um, along the, uh, also along with Annika Johnsrud, by the way. Uh, so two of our students that are going to Kaleo. And also, um, life is changing for us because our dear son, John, and his wife, Larissa, who live here in Chilliwack, Um, they're going to make us grandparents. And uh, boy, that came fast. But it's a good thing. It's going to happen in February, Lord willing. And also they're going to make Jeff and Julie Bukema grandparents. So uh, we're not alone in that category. Uh, But again, a great vacation. It's great to be back. And here we are, September 12th, in the fall, getting ready to kick off into a new year. You know, we often talk that way because it's a new school year. And it often is a bit of a, a new ministry year in the life of a church as well. And you're going to be hearing about, or already have heard, about a lot of things that are coming up this fall that you could be a part of, and we encourage you to be a part of that. Now, I've chosen this theme today called Live It Out. And maybe some of you are as old as me who remember a show that CBC used to do back in the 70s and 80s called Live It Up. Do you remember that? It was kind of a Canadian consumer and cultural trend type show where they kept Canadians up to date on all the new trends that were going on in Canadian society, Um, As a 14-year-old, I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, My parents had a different opinion on that at the time. They weren't too thrilled that I was kind of engaging with what was going on in our culture. Uh, Only because when you're talking about current cultural trends, often they're pushing the envelope a little bit. bit. Not just on um, a Canadian context of what people think is right in society, but as Christians looking at the values that were being uh, engaged and... um, uh, appropriated, and of course my parents didn't want me to catch some of those values, but that's okay. It gave me an education into how the world thought, and uh, Christ gave me the right values that I could then engage my culture with. So I'm just using it as a bit of a tagline, just like the world likes to live it up with enthusiasm. I'm saying, let's live it out. Let's take our faith in Jesus Christ and live it out with that same enthusiasm. Recently, I was having a conversation with a guy who came to my place to buy a Facebook marketplace posting that I'd put an item on. And uh, afterwards, we were talking, and and he started to share with me a bit about his life. Um, He was a bit older than myself. He had been in two accidents in the last three to four years, one a work-related accident, the other in a car accident on the freeway. 
and both had left him with certain injuries, uh, with, you know, disabilities, and he could no longer work, and, and life was pretty tough. And as he's sharing his story with me, I'm wanting to bring God into the equation. I want to point this guy to the hope that I have in Christ, and that there's more to this life than what he's just facing right now. But I found it really hard to do. I found it hard to do in part because he kept dropping F-bombs. A real rough, tough, rugged kind of guy dropping these F-bombs, and I found it hard to drop the J-bombs. And I was thinking about that. How is it that two perfect strangers who don't know each other, and one is super comfortable in dropping that kind of language in front of me, and yet as a Christian, I'm having a hard time trying to bring Jesus into the equation. But therein lies the tension, right? Therein lies the challenge of trying to live out our faith in a world that doesn't naturally embrace it. And so our message today is to try to encourage us to live it out, to up our game, really. To up our game in not just saying, yeah, yeah, I have a private faith. But that private faith has a light to it that shines out to people around me. And it's not just a personal challenge that I have here today. I'm thinking collectively as the body of Christ at Sardis Fellowship. What is our collective outward focus that we have as a church body? So today's message is a simple reminder about who we are in Christ. What it is that he's called us to be about here. And what it is that uh, the spirit with which God wants us to go about that mission. Now, we have a vision statement here at Sardis Fellowship that we've shared from time to time. You might be familiar with this. And it says this uh, about Sardis Fellowship, that we're to be a community centered in Christ, empowered by the spirit, to the glory of God, as a visible, transformative, just presence in our local community and the world. Now, we often simplify it just to those three statements that you see there, centered in Christ, visible in community, transforming our world. And this has been a really good focal point for us to remind us as to why we're here and what we're to be about. To not lose our focus on our mission and on our vision in this community and in our world. Now, there's nothing to offer the world if it doesn't first start with Jesus. That's why centered in Christ is first. Everything that we have comes out of an understanding of who Christ is in our life. And that it's through the lens of faith in Christ that we have any mission in our homes, in our workplace, on our street, where we go to school. All the plans that we lay, all of it is seen through the lens of Christ. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. Uh, out of that relationship of being centered in Christ flows the witness that we have in our community and world. This is what we call Discipleship 101. It's just knowing who we are in Christ and our, and our mission as to why we're here. Now, the passage I've chosen for us to focus on today is one that's very well known. And it's a, an idea that is often talked about, and you've maybe heard this a gazillion times, and I hope you don't bail on me when you hear the passage or you hear the idea, because I want you to be refreshed in the challenge that it brings to us. Now, the analogy of, is that of salt and light. Matthew 5, 13 to 16, where Jesus talks about this. And the reason why I don't want you to just kind of tune out because you've heard lots of sermons on this and there's probably nothing new I'm going to say about it today is because I want you to be reminded of the challenge of truly being salt and light to those that God places in our lives. Why are we here? What should we be about? And how should we go about doing it? That's what I want us to hear today. So the analogy of salt and light comes from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, I'd like to read that for us. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So this is this very well-known passage. And let's just look at a few aspects of the story to get kind of an understanding. And then we're going to dive in to what salt and light means. First, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. So he's speaking to those who are his followers. And therefore, it uh, speaks to us as well today. It applies to us. Secondly, Jesus says that they are the salt and they are the light. Uh, but we actually really know that it is Jesus himself who is the light of the world, but Christ lives in us as his followers, and therefore we reflect that light out. It's by nature of the fact that uh, Jesus has come into our lives that he transforms us, and then that's what people see. So when they see something in us that's attractive, um, it's really not me. It's Jesus in me. So that's the light that we reflect out to the world. Thirdly, the idea of salt and the idea of light is just simply that they're metaphors, right? They are examples of something that were positive and had a purpose that Jesus is now using to say, this is how your life should work. In the same way that salt and light have this function, so in the same way should your life function as my follower. So if we understand the example that he's using, then we will understand the point that he's making about how we're to live our lives as disciples. So let's start with salt. Um, salt is good if it's salty, but it's not good if it's not salty. Interestingly enough, salt today doesn't ever lose its saltiness. Uh, it's the way in which they process it. Um, it's uh, sodium chloride, it never loses its saltiness. However, in the time of Jesus, salt was uh, produced differently. They just basically took it away from the edge of the, the lake and it could lose its saltiness. So first of all, just to understand that, there's no technical error here on Jesus' part. In the time of Christ, salt could lose its saltiness. But the, the main point is this, if salt were to lose its saltiness, it loses its purpose. So its purposes are twofold, one to preserve food and secondly to add flavor. Pretty much the way in which it could still be used today. So let's look at the idea of preservation of food for a moment. Um, in order for salt to work in this way, it has to actually have two qualities about it, okay? Uh, in other words, the, the way in which salt has any purpose, it has to have two things. One, it has to be salty. So if it loses its saltiness, it's not going to preserve anything. It won't have that preservative nature to it. But secondly, it has to engage with the meat or the fish that it's trying to prevent from rotting. The salt has to be rubbed into the meat in order for the salt to actually work. Now you think, oh, okay, yeah, Rod, this is pretty basic stuff. But think about it. If you think about it in relationship to our faith, it's not just about me and Jesus and making sure my heart's right with Jesus. It's also being rubbed into that which is rotting in our culture. I have to be engaged in the culture if there's going to be any kind of preservative nature that comes from it, right? Um, so it takes both the salt to be salty, but then the salt has to get off the shelf and out into the world. In fact, this author, uh, Rebecca Manley Pippert, she wrote a book years ago, and it's, it's been updated over the years. It's called Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. Great title. And it's all about this idea of the fact that unless salt retains its saltiness and unless salt gets out of the salt shaker and into the world, it's useless. And Jesus' whole point is, I don't want you to be useless disciples. 
I want you to be disciples that know how to retain the salty flavor and be used, engaged in the culture. And then we are a preservative. Now, the second point here is flavor. Uh, we get this because um, eating food without salt is pretty bland. You add salt, it's pretty good. It's kind of like the difference between mayonnaise and Miracle Whip. I'm a real Miracle Whip lover because, hey, it adds a bit of zip. Whereas mayonnaise, that's just bland, old, boring stuff. I have shares in Miracle Whip, so that's why I promote it. No, the truth is, though, there's something about the zip or the pop that salt brings to meat or food in general. And Jesus says there should be something about your life that, you know, that's appealing, that tastes good, that if people meet you, they like what it is that you're bringing to the table. Salt adds flavor to food. Living like Jesus, Jesus should make our lives attractive to others. Let's look at so, uh, light for a moment. Um, light, by nature, shines. You know, when you light that lamp, Jesus said the purpose of lighting that lamp is to put it on a stand so it gives light in the room or the house. It, it's not to take it and put it in our bowl. I mean, that's not the purpose of light. You don't light something to hide it. No, you light something to let it shine. You light something to dispel and when Christ comes into our life, that's what he does for us personally. He comes in, he dispels the darkness within me, but then he uses me to dispel darkness in our world. He says in this illustration about light that it's like a city that's on a hill. And again, this is kind of twofold. Um, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Why? Well, because there it is. It's up on a hill, and it's big, and people can see it. If it's in daylight, it's interesting because the sun would reflect off of the walls, which were often whitewashed walls, and, and, and it would gleam. So, you know, it's up, and the sun's bright, and the light reflecting off the city, it can't be hidden. If it's nighttime, all the individual people in the city light their lamps, and all of a sudden, if it's nighttime, it's like it's glowing as a large structure, and not just one little house, but lots. Now, I, I like this because, you know, it talks about the fact that I have one light, but collectively... Christians, uh, the body of Christ is artist fellowship, we're like a city on a hill. Collectively, we are a bigger light together than what I am as one person here. So the illustration of salt and light works really good for us to evaluate our own personal lives, but also for us to evaluate collectively the life of our church and is it shining out or not. The point that Jesus is making is that as we follow him, our lives should be attractive to others. Jesus living in me should make me useful in these kinds of ways. This is not a hard illustration to understand, but it is a pretty challenging illustration if I actually ask myself the tough questions. Like, does my life resemble Christ more than the world? This is, um, this is challenging because how do we evaluate that, right? But the point is, as you evaluate it, ask yourself, is there anything in your life that could point a person to God? Is there anything in your life that's different that would have a preservative nature to that which is good and right and holy and godly? Or is it just the same as everything around you? Is there any contrast between your life and another person who doesn't know Christ living in Canada today? 
So if I lie and if I cheat and if I lust and if I steal and if I live for pleasure and if I live for the moment and I get drunk and I use the same kind of jokes and foul language and all that kind of thing and I'm materialistic and I'm not living for others, I'm just living for me and I'm not living for God. If all of those kinds of things that seem to be all around us in our culture are more of who I am than actually the opposite of that and a life dedicated to Christ, how can I actually be used by God to have a preservative nature in my culture. What's the difference? And so it is challenging, right? We can understand the salt, we can understand the light, <clears throat> and we can think that's not hard to understand. It's not. The difficulty comes in really asking ourselves the hard questions. And the same holds true for the concept of flavor, you know? Uh, if Jesus is living in me, shouldn't there be something appealing about me when people meet me? Shouldn't there be something that they taste when they come in contact with me and in conversation this should be a little different than what they taste when they meet a person who doesn't know Christ. So here's a question I want you to reflect on. What is it about meeting you that another person might think is different than meeting another average person in Canada? When they meet you, how do they walk away from that experience? Now, I don't want you to hear me wrong, because if you hear me wrong, you might say, okay, yeah, I think I know. I think we've got to start looking different. In, in external ways, but it's not. It's, it's not about how you comb your hair or how you want to dress, but modesty is obviously always an issue and is encouraged and is right. But we're not talking about dressing a certain way or wearing our hair a certain way. It's not externals. It's about what is going on inside of me that comes out. When people meet me, what is it that they feel? Am I giving life to them or am I sucking it from them? Am I a life giver or am I a life taker? How, when people meet me, do they feel after they leave? You know, I love going for lunch with Bill Booster. He's a friend of mine. He's also a deacon in our church, and he's a businessman in our community. I don't just like it because he often pays, because he always pays. I like it because Bill has a way about him in public at a restaurant that I admire, and I've actually picked up on his example. I've noted that when the server comes, they often will have a name tag, and Bill will use their name, and the first encounter with the server is always very polite and positive, friendly, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, through the course of the meal, when it's all done, um, he seeks to use the server's name when it's all over and to thank them for their service to us today. You know, I watched Bill do that, and he's never told me his philosophy, but I know what it is. I know what Bill is doing in those moments. He is trying to, in some way, shape, or form, be a light or be salty, <laughs> saltiness, to that person. Maybe they've seen us pray for our meal. Maybe they've heard our conversation or little bits and pieces of it. Maybe they've been listening to something and seeing something that they're going, huh, that's a little different than some of the other conversations I'm hearing in the restaurant today. Or, or maybe it's the intention that, who knows if I will ever run into this person again outside of the context of this restaurant and have a further opportunity to share with them about Jesus. But being salt and light is this. It's about keeping influence with a person. It's about taking whatever little piece of opportunity we are given as Christians to say, I hope you would want to talk to me again. Because I might not be able to share Jesus Christ with you right here in White Spot. Maybe you could, but maybe not at that moment. But I might build the bridge to an opportunity where I get to another time. So, salt and light is keeping influence with the person so that when God cracks a door in their life, we're able to walk through and share with them more about Jesus. 
So we might be thinking, okay, this is good. Yeah, I get it. I want to be like that. Um, but how? Like, how do I keep that saltiness in my life? And, and how do I shine that light? That's a great question. I think that the answer comes for us in the verses that precede um, Matthew 5, 13 to 16. In the, in the first 12 verses, Jesus is giving his ideas that seem completely contrary to the way in which people think they should be living. Uh, they're his ideas of how his kingdom works. It's his invitation to people who want to say, yes, I'm your follower, therefore I will live like you live, Jesus. Now, this is called the Sermon on the Mount, and in particular, this section is called the Beatitudes. And uh, well-named because I think it's the kind of attitudes that we should be, if that helps you remember. This is the way in which we should live our lives so that we are salt and light. And here's, in essence, what he says. I'm just going to summarize it. But blessed are the poor. Uh, blessed are the people who are poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And of course, you read that list and you realize, yeah, actually, a lot of that goes completely opposite to the way in which our world normally works and operates. And quite frankly, if we're honest, I think in our own flesh, we struggle with living out that list over against the opposite of them, right? Like, we fight against pride. We fight against self-aggression of being right. Uh, of caring for myself and not necessarily caring for others. We fight against being humble and meek and righteous and pure. If our lives are going to be attractive to people, these are the kinds of things that need to come through. These will be the kinds of things that are actually salt and light. But in order for this to happen in our lives, we need to keep our hearts soft towards the Lord. I think if we don't pay attention and keep talking to the Lord about the things in our lives, we're just going to coast into the direction of all the opposite of the Beatitudes, right? Pride's going to be there and lust is going to be there and all the other things. It's when we pay attention and submit to God, to Jesus in our life, that we are living out these, these qualities and characteristics. So recently, Anne and I were out for dinner and our experience started off on a bad foot uh, the hostess sat us down. The server never came to our table. Quite a bit of time passed by. Finally, we were moved to a new section where a, a new server took care of us. Now, I'm pretty sure by that time, I was hungry. I was tired. I was definitely grumpy. And um, I think I was being pretty fully human in this moment. But my first words out of my, out of my mouth to the server came out really sideways. They came out wrong. I didn't really mean to be rude, but it was uh, probably impossible for my words to be heard differently than just being rude. So when our server left, my wife said, said to me very kindly, she informed me, you know, those, the way in which you said that there, you know, she's gonna, that was rude, <laughs> bottom line. I knew my wife was right, and um, when our server returned, I apologized uh, for my tone of voice and things that I'd said. And, you know, it turned into this really neat connection with our server. Um, like lots of conversation and just really neat, fun stuff and a, a good spirit about it. And I thought, wow, how amazing. Just that one little apology that said, you know, I'm sorry. Um, that was wrong. I don't want to be like that. Even though she's used to rude people, she says. And it's like, oh, well, <laughs> I don't want to be one of those, right? But it, well, also what it did was it, it allowed our meal, Ann and I, to enjoy it, right? We could enjoy our meal now because things were made right. So I, the point is this. Unless we're willing 
to listen to Jesus and make the corrections along the way, we're probably just going to end up on the wrong side of this equation. We're not going to be very um, tasty to people when they meet us. Now, we need to be careful because sometimes I think we let ourselves off the hook too much. Ah, well, you know what? And we don't say anything. We just move on. Uh, We do this with our kids often as parents. When we're raising them, we go, oh, well, they'll be fine. But I think it's important to realize that Jesus is our Lord, and he speaks to us, and we need to actually uh, answer to him and do the right thing. I remember one brother in Christ who said to me, you know what, people just need to get used to me. I have a prickly personality. That's the way God made me, so you'll just have to get used to it. (laughs) And, you know, I kind of laughed to myself, and I thought, huh, um, well, I could have a prickly personality too uh, if I wanted to. This isn't just all about personality. In fact, I don't care what personality you have. If you don't submit your personality to Christ in your life, it can be used for harm. It can damage relationships. We, whatever your personality is, whether you're a sunny, optimistic disposition or you're a person that's on the pessimistic side of the equation, it doesn't matter. That personality needs to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So let's not let ourselves off the hook or make excuses. Jesus came to save all of who we are. And, and he makes our lives attractive when we simply say, yes, I'm intentionally trying to live out the Beatitudes. And I'm also aware of the fact that when I get it wrong, I can ask for forgiveness. Have you ever noticed in the Gospels how well-liked Jesus was by people who were the marginalized in the culture at the time? Those who were called the, uh, the publicans, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners is how it's often put. And these people didn't seem to be repelled when they met Jesus. They seemed to be drawn to him. And obviously, it's because Jesus extended grace to these people. When other people gave them no hope and cut them off and kicked them out, Jesus didn't. Jesus invited them into their next best step with God. And the fact that he approached it with that sense of value in their humanity and love for who they are, not what they were involved in, became the attractive part for people to say, I would like to meet Jesus again. And let that be our guiding light in how we interact with people that they would want to meet us again. When people walk away, do they think, man, that guy's a real jerk. He's sure full of himself. Or do they think to themselves, hey, I like talking to him. I'd like to do that again. If we have, if we want to have the opportunity to share Jesus with people, then we got to keep influence with them. And keeping influence with them is what keeps the door open. If we just slam the door shut by our bad attitude or our judgmental spirit, then we're not being salt and light. Salt and light leads to an open door to give us the opportunity to share Jesus with others. Jesus in us makes our lives attractive to other people. This challenge today is is for us personally as individuals, but collectively as a church. And Sardis Fellowship, I just feel strongly that we need to be reminded that we're in this community as a a light that God wants to use. And I feel strongly that we need to be more outward focused because there's a lot of people in our community that don't know the difference between Jesus or Yoda. And we need to be that kind of visible witness in our community that we might be able to guide them to the living Son of God who saves us from our sins. I think we're pretty good about looking up to God for our need 
I think we're pretty good about looking in and realizing that he wants to make a difference in my life and I want to read my Bible and pray and I want to treat my spouse right and my relationships in my life, my girlfriend, other things, friends at school, whatever it might be. We're good about looking up and looking in. I want us to be thinking about looking out this fall. Look out to live it out. To be salt and light in our community. It is not time for the church to turtle. You know, to hide behind the four walls of the church. To kind of you know, recoil back in and just kind of protect ourselves. That's not the way in which the gospel of Christ will be the light in our community. We are to be in our community giving people a taste of Jesus, both individually, where we work and play and do life, but also collectively as who we are as a church. I remember in one of my church ministry uh, courses that I took, the prof asked us this question. He said, if, if your church were to close their doors, would anyone in your community be impacted by that? And then he said, would they even notice? Now, I for sure am not saying that our church has no impact in our community. I know that there are many things that we do collectively. There are many things that individuals do. Uh, I love the fact that we've started to take up 10% of our offering as a benevolent offering, of the first offering of every month, and give it away. Give it away to needs in our community or around the world where we know that there are needs. And so we've been giving to things like Teen Challenge, the Men's and Women's Center for Addiction uh, Related to Drugs and Alcohol, to the Pregnancy Care Center to support young moms who are in need of counsel and care. And last month, the Pearl Ministry, uh, actually in September here, to Pearl Ministry, which helps women who are seeking to get off the streets as prostitutes. Uh, we give to Ruth and Naomi's Mission and Salvation Army and Cyrus Center because they help with homelessness in our town. We were able to give a gift through our fellowship to help with uh, victims in Lytton who lost their home to the fires this summer. Uh, we've supported camps and missionaries like Robin Kadeen Lee, and Heidi Gladman, who uh, works with or has worked with the street ministry in Santa Cruz, Bolivia. All of this is very good, and I think it's great that we give money away. But we all know that it's more than just giving our money. It's giving ourselves. And many of you are. You've volunteered in all of these things that I've mentioned here. You've been a part of Ruth and Naomi's and Cyrus Center and different places like that. We collectively as a church do things together as well. So both have value. What you do individually and what we do collectively have value so i think of like vbs soccer camp that we ran at the beginning of this summer and we've run it for like years and years and years and it just has this visibleness to it and it is a testimony to our community um, pastor tim and carol have been running afternoon adventures that's a school after school program at evans road elementary right over there and uh, they're in need of more people by the way for october when they restart it's a tricky time frame it's Thursday afternoons from 2 to 4 o'clock. So if you're a person who has time during the day like that and you want to join them, it's reaching kids in a school that have limited supports. And um, boy, that's turned into opportunity for our church family to bless some of those families. Also, uh, back in April, many of you uh, supported the baskets, 25 baskets that we took into the Chilliwack Community Correctional Center for Men. That's a halfway house. And... Um, we were able to give this gift, and in it was a Christian video. So they were kind of, you know, weaving in the gospel along with some other nice stuff. And then that opened a door for this summer when about seven or eight of the men of our church who went in to do a barbecue. And I was speaking to Natalie, who runs the program there, and she was just super supportive. And I said to her, why is it that you are just, like, bending over backwards to help us out? And she says, I've been here running this program for 17 years, and it's the first time an outside group has come in to do a barbecue in our backyard. I was blown away by that. 
and it was a really great event. You can see we were playing some lawn games there, and we cooked a barbecue meal for them. It gave us opportunity. There are other people who are working with the Compassionate Neighborhood Program where they're loving on their seniors in their, on their street or shut-in people that they're kind of keeping an eye on. Um, we've recently let Alcoholics Anonymous use our fireside room on Monday nights. And uh, why would we do that? Well, we do that because we want people to meet Jesus. I, I'm all for people <laughs> finding sobriety, um, being um, good citizens in our culture because they can keep their job and they can um, love their wives and their children and not allow alcohol to affect those relationships. But ultimately, we do it because we want people to know that Jesus Christ died for them, that his grace and love is extended to every single one of us. I know that there's a host of other ways in which our church is visible in our community, but my challenge to us is that we continue to be outward focused, that we know our community and we know who the people are and we care. And we care about what comes out of our mouths and we care about how our hands reach out and we continue to try to seek God for how we can be visible in community transforming our world. The doors of Sardis Fellowship were to ever close, would it make any difference in Chilliwack? And are we aware of the amount of hurt and pain and suffering that goes on around us all the time in our community? Are we aware that people need a taste of something that is salty and something that is light and it's called grace and it's called the love and life of Jesus Christ? And I know that you hear these stories of brokenness as much as I do. You're out there and you hear them. And at times it can be overwhelming. But can we give them a taste of hope, a taste of love, a taste of Jesus. That's what they need, and that's what it means to live it out. So I would invite you to be in prayer with me, with our staff, with our leadership team, with our ministry leaders, as we continue to seek God for ways in which we can be active in our community. Just as salt and light is attractive to people, let's let Jesus make our lives attractive to others as we allow him to be the Lord of our life. I'd like to lead us in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the amazing grace that is yours in our life, that Jesus Christ has come into our lives. He's forgiven our sins. He's made us right with you. He's placed us into your family. And that message needs to be heard to all people. And we bear that light. Help us to be salt. Help us to be light wherever you have placed us. That first and foremost, it would be true in our hearts that we seek to, to be Christ, that the Beatitudes would be honest and truly being worked out in our lives. And then as we engage with people, that you would make us uh, attractive to them, that they too might want to know what it is that we have in Christ. And I would pray that collectively our witness as a church family would continue to shine into our community, that as we love people to Jesus, that we would see their lives transformed as well. And so we commit ourselves to you. We look forward to this new fall semester. And we just pray that you continue to lead this church congregation. We pray for your blessing on us. In Jesus' name, amen. So here are the three questions that I would like you to discuss uh, today. Number one, do you have a positive example of a time that you were salt and light to someone in our community? Can you share that with who's ever in your home? Or if you're alone, call a friend and talk about it. Uh, number two, why do you think that we find it hard at times to be Two people, what Jesus wants us to be. Like, what gets in the way there for us? And number three, are there some community connections that you think you personally could be a part of this year? Or something that you think maybe our church family could be a part of? 
So God bless you as you think about this and discuss it. And if you have some ideas, you can pass them along my way. Have a great week. We'll see you here next Sunday. Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.